0: Hey everybody, welcome to Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. I'm your host, Larry Powell, and today's guest is Brandon Reidenauer, and this is HFL 111. Of course, you can listen to these interviews on any podcast platform, but now you have the option to also watch them on the Studio HFL YouTube channel. If you haven't yet subscribed to that channel, I'd encourage you to do that and share that with your friends. While you're at it, I'd encourage you to also visit Apple Podcast, leave a star rating and a review. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Studio HFL. If you'd like to get the newsletter, you can go to StudioHFL.com and subscribe there. And you can get uh, weekly news and updates on guests and releases and other information. And of course, if you go to StudioHFL.com, you can also go to the merchandise page and check out the uh, really cool t-shirts there. And don't just check them out. Actually, buy some. That'd be great. Uh, Let's see. Patreon. Oh, yeah. Here's a huge shout-out to my Patreon patrons for their generous support of the show. Your support goes a long way towards helping me to continue working to deliver the best possible end product. And for that, I am extremely grateful. If you would like to be a part of the Studio HFL community, please visit patreon.com slash studio HFL. There you're going to find four tiers of support from which you can choose, each with benefits for becoming a subscriber. And now a word about my show sponsors. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. There's an incredible line of mouthpieces, both custom and stock, that you can choose from with expert guidance from Eric Marine. And the Blackburn trumpets are the choice of pros like Vince DiMartino and David Hickman. Design, execution, delivery, and excellent customer service. Find out more at picketblackburn.com. Messina Covers. You know, brass players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other musicians. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers is your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to a wide variety of color schemes. Don't forget about options for mouthpiece pouches or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. And of course, you can check them out at messinacovers.net. One of the great things about small business is that you get the opportunity to provide exceptional customer service while delivering exceptional products, and of course I'm talking about Carl Hammond and Hammond Design. Carl provides a complete line of stock mouthpieces for trumpet, cornet, mellophone, trombone, and tuba, and custom orders for all of those plus flugelhorn. Everything is better in HD, and of course you can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. The Eastman Music Company has become a force to be reckoned with by manufacturing and delivering high-quality instruments across the board. Eastman Winds provides a line of brass instruments from beginner to pro, and you know they're invested in the quality of every instrument when the one and only Doc Severinsen designed their beginner trumpet model. I've played this trumpet. It is spectacular. Find out more at eastmanwinds.com. S.E. Shires, another division of the Eastman Music Company, offers a complete line of brass instruments for the discerning musician. Stock options are available, but custom orders are where Shires have made their mark. Myself, as both an Eastman and a Shires artist, I can attest to the quality of horn in my hands no matter what my performance situation. Find out more at seshires.com. And now on to my interview with Brandon. I
1: just got back to New York last night and missed the weather where I was uh, in Montana. Yeah, what
0: part of Montana?
1: I was in, well, I was in Missoula, Montana, and then uh, uh, like a lake house about an hour and a half away from Missoula. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and now I'm back in my place in Brooklyn, and it's Uh, very
0: different here. Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, when I did some cruise ship work, we would dock at Red Hook and, And, you know, take the A-train. Forget the name of the the mall that we would walk to and then take the A-train up to... Manhattan and, you know, try to make a day of it while we could. Right, right. uh, Nice. So, um, you've been actually still really pretty busy through all of this. I mean, uh, Canadian brass have been maintaining a pretty good presence uh, through all the lockdown here.
1: Yeah, we have. We've been been quite busy. There's never been a dull moment, and every day has been jam-packed, and... It's hard to keep track of things. I mean, I've never been so busy and made so little money in my whole life.
0: Really interesting time. Yeah. Isn't this what you signed up for, though?
1: Apparently. I don't know. I didn't see anything in writing years ago, you know, when I went to school for all of this. Um, But who knew? Who knew that this would happen? We'll see how exactly we rebound from all of this and what, what really comes through. I, I hope that a lot of people react to this in, in, as, podi- in as positive of a way as they can, actually, because this is, I think this is a test for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, whatever we're doing, it's a test to make sure that we're um, doing the things that, that are truly important to do, and don't waste your time doing any of the other things that you may have been doing prior to this that mm-hmm. maybe weren't worth it.
0: Well, you know, I have seen quite a few really positive things come out, and of course, I'm thinking about social media and all the artists of every caliber, right, of every level, uh, using social media to stay engaged, to uh, stay connected with their fans, to um, you know, create new content. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. We've all been forced to sit in front of the computer. And create and consume through all of this and there's a lot of really good stuff.
1: yeah, there's it I've been thinking about that balance a lot between creating and consuming it seems like there's so much content out there being created that it surpasses the rate of consumption by comparison to times before. So so many people are busy uh, creating all, all sorts of things now and hopefully I hope that we've find a nice balance after all of this because it does seem to have suddenly become quite lopsided there's just so much content out there and it it can be difficult to sift through uh, all of the things that exist it's a little it's overwhelming the amount of content out there
0: well and i've asked some others you know are you concerned that we're giving away so much content for free you know is it going to create an expectation that you know this is the way it's going to be in the future, or are we going to go to some sign to, some kind of subscription uh, service to do this? and what do you what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I've definitely thought about that. And musicians, of course, in this digital age where everything's downloaded and streamed now, uh, musicians on the whole have certainly suffered from this. you know prior to that, uh, the way of course, I mean I don't need to tell tell you, but. It was such a different way of going about to uh, get a record deal and you sign on with a producer, you sign on with Sony or Columbia or a big, uh, big company like that. And the game totally changed. And I'm afraid that the game changed not so favorably for musicians, uh, unless you're a very successful pop musician. However, you, even if you 're a successful pop musician, I mean you may have heard like the, the Taylor Swift saga she demanded that people the musicians be paid more fairly, and she wasn 't going to make her music available until uh, the Spotify's and, and similar companies followed suit and began to pay musicians a little more fairly. Now still, when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, like uh, many classical musicians or, or jazz musicians, struggling musicians are still incredibly talented. It's really hard to make a living in this industry. So to get back more to your point and your question, I do think that musicians now need to set something up, especially in this booming era of small businesses, set something up to make it fair for themselves and it's okay to withhold, especially now, if people care about, about artists, then they will support the artists that they want to support. So um, I've, I've done that. I've encouraged Canadian brass to do that. I encourage others to do that and not give everything away for free. I think it's okay mm-hmm. to give away a teaser of this and that say, Hey, this is what we're doing. If you like it, check out more, subscribe to this or pay for this. You know, this is a, this is a tasting. We'll give you a free sample. It's like, you know, when you go to your favorite brewery, you know, they usually give you a little sample of the beer mm-hmm. that you, that you've never had before you, before you get a whole pint. So um, I like to say it's, it's okay to do the same thing. And I think we need to, do more of that and even um set you know for example set up your own website to bring consumers and your audience directly to there instead of relying so heavily on spotify um you know mm-hmm. spotify has just boomed so out of control and a lot of people are, are playing that game and will continue to play that game for years because as a consumer it's so easy you know i'm guilty mm-hmm. of going on google play or spotify and checking something out just because it's so easy to but unfortunately it's not it's not so fair to the musicians who are creating all all that music for it that's my rant
0: sorry good rant i (laughs) give it an a plus (laughs) thank you well you know that's why uh you know we both have patreon pages i checked yours out Mm uh you know the the first i ever heard about that of course was brass junkies okay you know as i was listening to them and i was like okay i gotta check this out but You know, that at least we still have that to still try to generate something. And, you know, I've been trying to steer supporters of the podcast that direction as well. And it's just like you, you're still trying to, you know, for your own your own artistry, steering people there to to support. And, you know, again, thank goodness for at least platforms like Patreon to to help out that's right. that's not a paid plug for patreon by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so or maybe it could yeah. be i'll contact them afterwards and see if they'll endorse it. We'll
1: we <laughs> can talk about it for a few more minutes to really dig in there and yeah. uh, secure that yeah uh, yeah i agree i think that a platform like patreon is headed in the right direction for any sort of artist and support system i think that's the mm-hmm. right idea and i'd like to see more things like that happening um and perhaps even more things like that happening right within the websites of, of artists, which we already are. You know, you can we see plenty of donate here buttons on mm-hmm. people's websites and it goes straight to your PayPal or like before you know it, your credit card is charged. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that that's that's headed in the right direction. And uh, it's a really tough time for for artists. We're all all mostly unemployed uh, right now. Um, Maybe with the exception of uh, music educators who have have jobs there, but music performers are certainly all unemployed right now. So it's tough. And uh, hopefully this will come out of this with something that's a little more fair for for artists. Yeah. We'll
0: see. I I think this little segment is going to be uh, excerpted and and placed on Facebook pretty quickly because I think this oh, okay. is a good conversation. You know, this is worth people hearing. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, seriously, let's let's talk about you a little bit. And you know, you mentioned uh, things maybe uh, better for educators. So, are you teaching? Or are you about to restart uh, teaching somewhere?
1: Yeah. Well, I just started teaching last year at the Manhattan School of Music. Uh, technically in their contemporary program they have a contemporary ensemble um, where students uh, after they have their bachelor's degree they can audition for this group and it's specific for new music um, I guess probably any any music written within maybe the last 60 or 70 years is what they all specialize in and some of them write their own music in the program as well and they deal with electronics a lot of cutting-edge things um, so that's where I'm at and and we're, of course, talking. I get an email from MSM probably every day about the new update. This is the new plan for the next year. Like, mm-hmm. this is how all the uh, online learning will, will work. This is how you use the, the video system and, and this and that. So mm-hmm. it's an ever changing situation. And uh, we're just going to continue to play it by year. Uh, and I'll. I'll be teaching there next next year still, but it'll probably be a, a combination of virtual and uh, in person, right. depending on the on the situation. How, how New York's doing come September.
0: Mm-hmm. Is this an undergraduate program only, or can you get uh, graduate degrees?
1: It's for the new music program. It's only uh, graduate. It's like mm-hmm. a I I think it's a diploma that you mm-hmm. get at the end of it. So yeah, you have to have at a minimum a bachelor's degree already in order to audition for this
0: program. Yeah, I saw a video online, it was very cool, and I think you may have been playing in it, but trumpet, strings, and clarinet, does that sound That sounds familiar, yeah, with uh, Founders. Yes, that's it, Yes. that's it. So is it similar to, or is that the group, is that one at Manhattan School?
1: No, that's very different. Um, I started Founders about a year after I left Canadian Brass, I left Canadian Brass in 2013, and and then stumbled upon a, a group of friends who were classical musicians, but like secretly always wanted to start a band. Um, so we started this group where we shared our song ideas with each other, and that was that ended up being called Founders. A year later, we named it and made a record, and it became a thing. So um, that's that group, and I use that as a vehicle for for composing and arranging expression. And uh, the thing at MSM is, is uh, it's a chamber orchestra size. There's one of each instrument in the orchestra about, oh, okay. and ma- well, maybe double strings, but it's a relatively small program.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And original compositions, or are you even, ev- is everybody contributing with uh, arrangements or creation?
1: In Founders, uh, yeah, everybody brings things in. Uh, I would say that uh, myself and my counterpart ben uh, Ben Russell, he plays violin and sings in this group, so between he and I uh, we bring in a, probably a lion's share of of the yeah. material, but we'll get together and at some point everyone has brought in uh, an original or an arrangement actually mm-hmm. in the group mm-hmm.
0: that's sort of how the group was was founded that's how founders was founded mm-hmm i got to check it out. You said it's, you've, you've already made an album. I'll have to remember to, to search that. But what's the title of it?
1: Uh, our debut album is called You and Who. And it can be, going back, not to plug Spotify, but you can find it on Spotify. <laughs> you can find it in all of the places, basically. Yeah. Okay. You can also find it directly on our website. There you go. The best quality version, the best place you could possibly go, directly to the artist's website, foundersmusic.org. And uh, you can get it there. And we're actually in the process of mixing uh, another album right now that will mm-hmm. be released before the end of 2020 mm-hmm. uh, called Songs for the End of Time, which is sort of a heavy title for these times, we realize. But we were planning on making, making this album a year ago before all of this yeah, happened, and we were still going to call it that. And, uh, and then things got real. And yeah. so we're thinking, is this too much for people? Songs right. for the end of time. We don't want to like bring any more angst to, right. to humanity. <laughs> there already is, but we're gonna we're gonna stay the course. It's our tribute to Messian.
0: Uh, I was just gonna ask about that because he was it a string quartet or quartet what for it? the end of time? Yeah, yeah.
1: Post to a string quartet. It's a piano, violin, cello, clarinet, and we've rearranged it for trumpet, clarinet, uh, violin, cello, bass, singing sometimes ensemble singing and some other special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it. It's our ode to uh, the quartet for the end of time.
0: That's very cool. Yeah, and good. I'm glad you put all the, the URL, URL and everything in there. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the arranging thing, uh, and I've, I actually bought um, your arrangement of uh, the Gershwin Preludes, and I'm looking forward to program, programming that uh, next spring. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank, really, you
1: for, thank you for picking that yeah, up. Yeah,
0: you're welcome. And I paid for it. I didn't search online for a free PDF, right? That's great. I know. <laughs> right? Which you can right. seem to find anywhere these days. But I know. That's true. Um, yeah. So where did this arranging bug, uh, or not where, but when? When did it bite you? When did you get interested in doing that?
1: Well... Uh, I started on piano originally and it might have been that when I migrated from piano to the trumpet um, well I picked up the trumpet in middle school and then I found that I kind of excelled at the trumpet faster in which I did the piano and there are just so many ridiculous pianists out there not that there aren't ridiculous trumpeters but there are just more pianists Um, everyone and their sister plays piano so I I think it was because of knowledge of the piano repertoire when I picked up the trumpet and got more serious with it, I noticed that, man, there's just so so much more material, great material in the piano repertoire. So I started to arrange things for trumpet and piano based on a lot of piano repertoire that I would just lift. Uh, I just extract melodies from uh, piano pieces and uh, make those arrangements sort of as a starting place. Mm-hmm. Um and did that with, I heard a lot of Gershwin and similar composers growing up in my house with my my dad playing and and teaching. Um, So that sort of music was uh, always around, very melodic song-like music was just always happening. Um, And yeah, and then in school I I got a little more interested in composition and writing things for friends. And then uh, in Canadian brass I thought well I might as well try to write some things for mm-hmm. Canadian brass and so then the the brass bug expanded I learned how to write for the quintet uh, and I just do it over and over and over
0: and I don't know how many arrangements I've done by now but uh, mm-hmm. quite a few. Was uh, Bad Romance your arrangement? The one yes. you did for yeah or yes. Brass Romance right?
1: Right yeah.
0: Yeah so I remember hearing that and I played it and somebody goes there's Coldplay in there somewhere.
1: There's a little Coldplay. It was, yeah. foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing for the next uh, Brass Underground uh, single to come out. I had already arranged uh, "Viva La Vida" Coldplay, oh, uh, yeah. and unfortunately, it took a while for the next single to to drop. So everyone had forgotten that I'd quoted "Viva La Vida" Brass <laughs> Romance. But that was the idea. Was that it was gonna it was gonna try to like plug whatever the next one would be within that song and uh but yeah
0: that might be the edgiest canadian brass video i've seen i i don't know that i've seen any others with electronics or uh or, or uh, chris going into the you know the stratosphere singing Yeah, that w- that was terrific but it
1: certainly was different yeah well chris had this knack for whenever we were out uh often after concerts but you know Uh, It wouldn't like take a drink or anything. He wouldn't need, there wouldn't need to be any instigating for him to get on top of the tallest table and (laughs) sing as high as he could at any given moment in public. So, since he was so willing to do that for anyone, anywhere, I figured, well, we might as well exercise this tool we have (laughs) within Canadian Brass. And uh, so uh, I arranged the piece with with him in mind. And Mm -hmm. in the version that you can buy, uh through canadian brass it says optional piccolo trumpet or voice so, uh, okay, because it's in okay. a similar register right he's singing so and not everybody can can sing up there but there yeah. actually there is <laughs> there is a video of another like high school group where, where a kid goes for it and he puts his trumpet down and he sings in the same register oh. <laughs> that, that chris sang in. and
0: so it can be done that's very cool yeah um all right, so you know you mentioned a little bit of middle school, um, but you mentioned you started on piano. How old were you when you started on piano?
1: I uh, I was five uh, in the first grade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's about wow, an
0: early first grader. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I have an October birthday, so yeah, I did start a little, mm-hmm. a little young. Yeah. Um, where'd you go to school? The high Rapid's college. Michigan. Um. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry. Let me let me back up. So I went to grade school in Grand Rapids, uh, and then moved to Kalamazoo uh, in the eighth grade, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then went to Juilliard uh, for my undergrad. Uh, and then um, in my last year of undergrad, I started playing with the Canadian Brass.
0: Who'd you study with at Juilliard?
1: Uh, my first two years were with Ray Mace, and the second mm. two years were, were with Mark Gould.
0: Wow. <laughs> is it like two ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, they <laughs> really are. Right. But both fantastic players, obviously. Yeah. It's just uh personality wise, right? Yeah.
1: No, I think that that's, it, it was great training. I, I wouldn't have done it again differently. Um, having those two different worlds, um, were what I needed. Um, mm-hmm. cause, uh, Mace got my trumpet line in line and perfected a lot of things and, and assigned me so many things to, to just work on, to clean up my playing and make me stronger and develop my sound. Mm-hmm. And then I went over to Gould, um, which is a pretty normal thing to do. I, I would say most people do it in that order, Mace and, mm-hmm. then, and then Gould. Um, and then Gould developed uh, a lot of other things, a lot of musical things, thinking about things more, not wasting any anyone's time with what you're trying to say. Right. music and being sure that you are trying to say something because he would let you know if if you felt like if he felt like you m- might be wasting his time or mm-hmm. or others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, his point being just you know get to the point you know <laughs> speak something say something through through mm-hmm. what you're doing and mm-hmm. and he wouldn't settle for anything less. Mm-hmm. Um, both both of them were demanding in, in very
0: different ways. Do you find now as you teach either one of their voices coming through in your studio?
1: Yeah, I would say that it's it, it's probably an equal amount of of everything that I've I've taken in and absorbed uh, through life. Uh, and I had a great first trumpet teacher, Greg Good, in Grand Rapids, and then uh, a, an amazing second trumpet teacher, Scott Thornburg, at Western. Oh Michigan. yeah, right. When I was in high school. I got to study with him. Um, so I was with him for five years actually. And Mm -hmm. really with him, it was just imitation. I would just try to sound like him. Uh, and he was incredibly kind to me the the whole way through. Um, and just over assigned me, just assigned me so much every week. (laughs) And I could like barely get through, get through it. But I think that, I think he knew what he was doing. He was really trying to push me in a good way and uh every week i would just yeah just try to imitate him uh it was definitely a, a blessing to have such a, a strong musician trumpet player in mm-hmm. kalamazoo where i was mm-hmm. um to imitate so um when i'm teaching others i would say that that all of those uh teachers that i've had in my life come through. And I'd say that based on the trumpet player, what they what I feel that they need, they might get a little bit more of, of someone else. If they mm-hmm. need a little more just trumpet technique, basic things, I might dig back further. I'm not, I mm-hmm. wouldn't throw a Mark Gould quote at them. Right. <laughs> um, and vice versa, you know, sure. uh, if somebody can al- already play and they, they need to go the, the extra step, then then I'm more than happy to go there with them and in fact prefer prefer that. I love I love teaching at that really high level where you don't have to talk about trumpet things anymore. Right.
0: You can just talk about the music and the things that you can say through it. You know, I just finished prepping my syllabus uh for this coming semester. Actually, I went ahead and did it for the whole year just because I was on a roll. I thought I'm going to keep <laughs> keep going. And I actually created assignments for every week. And of course, you know, we'll, we'll move things around as needed. But the thought actually went through my head. The, every single one of those students is going to complain. It's too much. It's <laughs> too much. you know. And yeah. and I know it's going to happen. First time I talk to him, it's going to be like, how do you expect me to get through this? Well, I did. Yeah. And every other trumpet player who goes through college does the same thing, you know, and it's, uh, I think sometimes uh, uh, they don't look at it like their history classes or their math classes. You know, it's like the expectations there are fine. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the amount of assignments they have in those classes are fine. We can't dump this much on them for trumpet lessons. And I think some of my students, that is a, that's a total, uh, it's complete guesswork on my part. But that's mm-hmm. kind of what I see.
1: Well, and hopefully that that's the thing that they're most passionate about. Out of all the things they're, they're doing at school, I would think that if they're there for the trumpet, that they would want to work the hardest on all those trumpet related Mm -hmm. things. Um, for sure. Um, and also I think over assigning is a great thing to do because it really develops your sight rating skills and your, your ability to just look at something and pick it up and understand it quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I definitely credit, you know, my, you know, my early trumpet teachers, the first, first three really over-assigned me, and Gould sort of did the opposite. He actually didn't assign me anything. And my last year studying with him, I didn't take the trumpet out more than once. Uh, we just talked about things and listened to things. Um, he wasn't into assigning, uh, you know, giving me trumpet assignments anymore. He was mm-hmm. into developing other things. Uh, and... At the time, I thought I really wasn't getting my money's worth at the Juilliard. Um, but uh, it turns out it was a good thing. I guess these teachers sort of know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> so give me an example, if you could, a little bit of what, a, what one of those lessons was like. Uh,
1: well, uh, yeah, some of the later lessons with Gould would be, uh, we would just sometimes listen to things, certain singers or certain violinists, and uh how they would use say uh, vibrato as a tool of expression and the the style of vibrato that that they would they would use um when we would listen to some jazz recordings uh just it was sort of all over them all over the map um we'd listen to South American music we'd listen to um Balkan like it would just be really diverse um. In addition to that to just kind of absorbing many different sounds of music, uh, he loved to talk politics and he loved to talk about how peached up the world was uh, so and, and yeah again, at the time, you know a noob new yorker uh like I wasn't ready I wasn't there to like talk about politics on the same level that he was, but I got what he was i got what he was saying and mm-hmm. how it related. Um in the case of a lot of artists, how what's happening in the world relates so much to music and how you can express yourself as a reaction to things that are happening out there um, so he yeah, he really loved, loved to talk about that, so like sometimes half the lesson or more than half the lesson would just be ranting about this or that and <laughs> him trying to get me riled up about about something and and you know. And, and care and, like, see yeah. and know what's going on. I think that that's an important part of education, too, because, you know, it's so easy to just be in a tunnel when you're in school to not know what's going on in the rest of the world, to not know a single piece of news. Um, and especially when, you, when you're in New York, I think it's good to just know, like, know what's happening right away and to, and to talk about it and to develop an, an opinion uh, about things while still like being receptive to to other people's thoughts and opinions um, and and just taking all, all that in I think that's really important in developing an artist uh, and a person mm-hmm. so um, yeah i and I, I hear a lot of really excellent players often who can just play it all, all over the horn but have nothing to say and um, that's something that that I value from the time I had with Gould was that through other other experiences and other things mm-hmm. you can absorb, um, you naturally have more, more to say. It's not all about just playing your scales on the trumpet.
0: Mm-hmm. So who kind of epitomizes that for you these days? What kind of jazz players, I mean, any kind of trumpet player or maybe any kind of musician, not just trumpet?
1: Yeah, that's the thing, I've kind of diverted a few years ago uh, away more and more from classical music a little bit for that reason because I I felt that no one was really epitomizing that so much within classical music everything is uh, is still to the page there's not I mean you can still express yourself within classical music, music but you don't see it a, a sort of do it all classical musician like uh, like in Mozart's day you know somebody who was a player and composer whereas in the jazz world that's mainly what what you see and and the pop world often too you you see these artists who are both creating uh, and executing their craft uh so um for me i i do I continue to listen to a lot more pop and jazz artists for that reason because i i feel that they are the ones who are saying something in reaction to what's happening out there mm. and i find that more interesting uh, than classical music I just I still appreciate classical music as an art and I'll I'll always love it um but if I want to know like what's hip to the world like I'm not gonna sit down and, and listen to another Mozart symphony I appreciate it for other reasons I appreciate it like I would go to the museum and see Michelangelo or something um but uh yeah, it's like different museum experiences. When you go to the MoMA mm-hmm. here, um, you're going to get a, more of a taste of how things feel currently versus when you go to the Met Museum, you get more of a taste for how things were then mm-hmm. and just great, beautiful pieces of art. Um, so I guess to be, be more specific, uh, who are some artists now who I feel like are doing that? Uh, Trumpet-wise... Uh, Theo Crocker. Um, I still don't know if it's Croker or Crocker. So. No,
0: that's not a name I'm familiar with. Oh, excellent. Where's he? Where's he from? Hmm.
1: I saw him play play here in New York, but I want to say that he is an LA guy, and I'm I'm not sure. I haven't stalked him to that level to know where he (laughs)
0: is. (laughs) But is he a jazzer? Is he He a jazzer? Okay. Is
1: Marcus Hill, Uh, man, excellent player. Definitely has has good things to say. Um, and uh, yeah, I I think that trumpet-wise, those two guys are, are doing some really really great things. Uh, Christian Scott, of course, um, you know they're they're really impassioned people, um, and you can
0: hear their their voice through their playing, and mm-hmm. and I definitely admire that. Mm-hmm. This is just a quick sponsor break to remind you to check out Messina Covers for great custom case options, Eastman Winds and S.E. Shires for exceptional quality from the professional model to the beginner, Hammond Design for their incredible HD experience, and of course Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. And now, back to the interview. Um, a little bit different, and I'm not trying to put Hokan's name out there other than, have you seen what he's done with the Charlier? I saw last. a couple of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I will say, from from my money, uh, there's some real artistry there, and you know, I think he can take classical music, and he's breathing new life into it. It's it's impressive what he's done, and I think to me, I, I kind of say, wow, he's giving me he's giving me permission to play that phrase that way. You mm-hmm. know, like so often, I think we all have to sit. You know, stay within that uh, a certain box with uh, the trumpet repertoire. And I, you know, I listen to somebody like him play, or Sergey and or uh, uh, Tina Helsis is another uh, who I think plays just beautifully. Um, those are my two cents on yeah. on that. You know, it's
1: hard to compare because it's such a different world mm-hmm. of, of playing. And he's you know, he's a great trumpet player for sure. I just saw him a few months, well, more than a few months ago now, I was in Amsterdam and happened to be there just for a few days, and he Mm -hmm. was playing with the Concertgebouw, so I was like, well, well, I guess I'd have to go see it. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, and got to know, there are a couple other trumpet players that I've gotten to know who live in Amsterdam. Uh, Miro, one of the principal trumpeters of Mm Concertgebouw, Adam Rappa lives just outside of Amsterdam. So we actually... Uh, we went to the concert and and took it in. He's, he sounded great. And, you know, he interprets things in a good way for trumpet players because he has a little more of a soloistic... I mean, he's been a soloist his whole life, so he's going to play it different than your orchestral trumpet player with a little, right. little more liberties and a different style and nuance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's good. And it's it's good for an, an interpretation uh, standpoint on something like like that. Um but we're, when we're talking about like an artist in the world today who's reacting to certain uh, pieces of, of news and and writing something and right. being extremely diligent on their instrument, um, that's sort of just for me. That's the those are the things that I'm I'm yeah. drawn to.
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned the the guys in the concert about when I talked to Caleb uh, a month or so ago, he was mentioning those guys and trying to do some sort of collaboration with them and I don't remember their names but of course that was probably on the same you know what I'm referring to.
1: I do. I'm actually a part of that collaboration Uh, and uh, Caleb is editing um, it right now and we are getting closer and closer to releasing something. Caleb has arranged uh, an epic uh, trumpet sextet actually that Mm. features Uh, well I'll leave it I'll I'll leave it a mystery for now but you already know that it features the two (laughs) of them and me and Caleb and two other uh, mystery trumpeters uh, on this uh, sort of large arrangement that Caleb's done
0: Yeah. Um, okay switch gears just a little bit Uh, when you first got into Canadian Brass what year was that 2006 and who was the other trumpet player at the time Joe Brokstaller who never heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> I, in fact, I talked to Joe just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. It was yeah, and another really deep thinker. I I really enjoyed uh, his interview. He's just you yeah, know is very serious about uh, music and and getting deep into things. I I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I, I would credit him as being my fifth teacher in in many ways. Mm. You know, after Gould, I learned I learned so much from him just getting to play across from him in the group mm-hmm. and, and hang out with him. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, who else have you, and of course Caleb, you've played with Caleb and Chris. Any other combinations?
1: It was just them, uh, mm-hmm. Joe, then, then Chris, uh, and then it was Chris and Caleb for a while, and now me and Caleb. Mm-hmm.
0: What brought you back?
1: Um, well, I guess time brought me back and uh, for one Chris had his second child and had a full time teaching job at Ithaca Um, things were getting busy and uh, I think also the group was looking for some more artistic direction and um, that's something that I, I know that I mean not to sound like arrogant but I know that naturally that's just what I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm passionate about writing music and providing artistic direction for whatever I'm involved in. Yeah, there's nothing uh, arrogant about that. I
0: mean, that's just it's what it is, right? That's your that's,
1: strength. That's just what I do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it seemed it seemed right. I, I so I started. It's been about a year, although for the last half year we haven't been on the road. So I guess I was yeah. only playing with them for about half half a year before. All this happened, um, and you know there was definitely a lot of camaraderie that I missed when I wasn't with the group. Uh, it was it was really cool to go around and, and tour, and and I think it's easy when you get into a group like that to kind of take that part of it for granted. The 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 group has such a, a valuable name that it can still get get booked all over mm. the world just because it's Canadian Brass and and people don't even like they'll book it without even like having heard it recently just because the name Canadian Brass has some, some value to these presenters and audiences. So um, it was nice to get to to around with with the guys and um, uh, both previously and then and then again last year and and, and see the world and just mm-hmm. kinda get into that groove again.
0: Well you know, presenters may not know the new configuration. You know, personnel-wise, but I mean, the group certainly hasn't suffered uh, for you know that that high level of performance, and not just the instrumental performance, but the connection. I mean, you guys still have that ability to connect with an audience. You know, yes, very different from Ronnie and Fred and those guys, but it still works
1: yeah and uh, the group uh, does plan on, on going on for for many more years mm-hmm. um, which was also part of the reason for for me coming back uh, because it seemed that that was kind of a, an important thing it's important to have the the right combination of people in a group it's something that you can't force you know you look at the Beatles there's something so magical about their their chemistry unfortunately mm-hmm. they they weren't together for super long, no. but there's no denying that like they had a, a magical chemistry. And when you look at the old Canadian brass, there's no denying when you see some of those videos that they had something, they were like in sync with each other uh, and they understood each other. And granted, they were around each other a lot more than what we are are now. Uh, Canadian brass used to be way more busy um, mm-hmm. than what the group is now, Well,
0: especially right now. But uh, I talked to I talked to Gene a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of oh, fact. It was it was a blast chatting with him. But uh yeah, he told me that uh, that you know, he started the meditation that everybody used to meditate before they'd go out on stage. Yeah. Uh, is that still kind of a, a thing or do you look at it differently?
1: Oh, you know, I learned meditation from Gene uh, in uh, the year he left the group, actually. Oh. Uh, he taught me and we've still kept in close touch. I would say that I'm, I'm more close with, with Gene now than what I was Mm -hmm. when we were in the group. Um, and I credit that to the meditation that he Mm -hmm. translated to me. Uh, he is a certified, uh, TM teacher and, uh, transcendental meditation for those who don't know TM. Um, and so I feel like my life completely changed once he introduced that to me and I started to become uh just aware in general more and more mm-hmm. aware uh so unfortunately the group doesn't do that and um I not everyone in the group does it we did, certainly don't all like collectively do it before performances that would mm-hmm. be nice I'd be totally down to do that but it's definitely a, a different ensemble now I know mm-hmm. that TM has still been a part of Chuck's life, of course, because he was in it with, with Gene. Um, mm-hmm. But it's trickled out. I believe Jeff, who you've also had on yeah. the show, um, yeah. I believe he has done it as well. I don't know if he learned it from Gene or, or, or if he did it officially, but um, yeah, I, I think that it's an, an incredible tool what TM has, has to offer to people. Um, and when you're in a group, like that if you have one thing that's that's not music that you can all kind of agree on and do together i think that that can really build uh uh, a strong bond between between the people a strong unspoken bond which is really important to have when you're on stage and you have a a hunk of metal up to your face and you can't speak to each other (laughs) you have this uh you're just in tune to to everyone because just if anyone's ever meditated or done a breathing exercise you go to this place where you have a heightened awareness mm-hmm. and that's uh, essential to have when you're on the stage
0: mm-hmm. you are one of the more even-keeled trumpet players i've ever watched perform it's like you have such an ease on stage you you know there's no angst, there's no anxiety. And now you might be like, yeah, but you don't know what's going on inside, right? But, uh, you know, it's it's yeah. very easy to watch and to listen. And, you know, you, you look like you play so effortlessly. Um, you know, I can see where, I mean, you were probably that kind of player before, but I could see where all of that kind of comes in uh, to work together on that.
1: To be honest, I've intensely dealt with nerve problems um and they they come and go and a lot of it i've noticed is due to repetition um performance is something that you can definitely practice and get better at but it's hard to get better at performance when you seldom do it so i find when i'm not on the road for a few months and i come back and i play i feel it again like mm. my heart will pound and when your heart pounds it's hard to breathe and when yeah. you are trying to hold your breath and let it out steadily <laughs> in tune on a trumpet it hurts it does not feel good it's not a good Mm -hmm. feeling at all but if i'm on tour uh, i'd say after a few concerts those feelings those butterflies go away Mm -hmm. um if i am in tune with my breath if i've done my breathing exercises and have felt uh solid with some meditation and not had too much coffee then (laughs) uh then the performance will also go better as well but um, yeah yeah I appreciate the the, the compliment yeah um, I think I'm also trying to imitate uh, you know a lot of other players when I'm up there and fortunately a lot of the teachers that I've had and players that I've watched videos of um, I'm drawn to ones with similar characteristics who play with this sense of ease mm-hmm. um, because uh, you know I, w- I would like to have a decently length trumpet career and if you're yeah. not flying with a sense of ease your your right. career may be shortened
0: right how old are you right now 34. oh you're you're just a kid just a kid <laughs> yeah they keep saying that to me yeah. even
1: all the way from the time i was a kid yeah Has to be a kid for so yeah. long hopefully it oh, de- will never change
0: my, my department chair gets upset with me for referring to my students as kids she like, they're young adults. And I'm like, well, no, they're kids, <laughs> but well, you know, and to be a kid at heart, you know, I'm 54 and, and I mean, still to do what we do, I mean, I feel, I don't feel 54, you know, this is, this is great.
1: That's the key to creating things into life is to have a, a kid like approach to everything you know, a sense of, mm-hmm. of wonderment and that, that youthful energy. Um, I heard a really wonderful thing. Um, are you familiar with, uh, Jacob Collier? No. Jacob Collier is a wunderkind of today. He's, uh, I mean, he's like the, the jazz pop Mozart of the day. Check him out. Um, he had a really wonderful, similar thing to say about mm-hmm. his approach to, to creating everything that he creates. He, mm-hmm. he does it with, with a sense of, of childlike uh, curiosity and, and wonder and uh, it's important to,
0: to never lose that you think audiences connect better with that that kind of persona that kind of uh, presence I
1: would say so I, I certainly do you know when somebody has everything kind of planned out or they don't uh, maybe maybe certain people are as consumers as, as listeners and viewers are more sensitive than than others but i can certainly tell when someone is enjoying what they're doing uh and when when they're not and i think that most mm-hmm. people can it's another unspoken thing that you know what you're feeling on stage as a performer is generally what you know what you're giving off off there is generally what What's going to be absorbed on the other end by the rest mm-hmm. of the audience? They're going to feel mm-hmm. what what you feel, in addition to whatever sounds you're making. On your yeah. instrument.
0: <laughs> yeah. So speaking of sounds, you know, I'm, I can see your apartment uh, back there. What's it like to practice in Brooklyn in an apartment? Or
1: um, I actually have a, a separate music studio a couple miles away that I bike back and forth to. Yeah, and okay. I sh- and I share a room within a larger recor- recording studio complex. Uh, so I'm usually there in the mornings, uh, and then my studio mate will come come in and um, and be there for most of the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you've seen anything that I've posted lately that looks like it's a studio or coming from a studio, mm-hmm. it's that studio. Uh, it's, uh, my studio has decorated it with some nice leaves and some Christmas lights <laughs> and uh, oh, cool. lighting. And uh, But I've been doing lots of projects and working on mm-hmm. uh, a few different singles, uh, uh, a collection of trumpet etudes, actually, from this mm-hmm. studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one etude away from, well one and a half etudes away from 12 etudes um, both writing and recording them so oh very I plan, cool I plan on releasing that um, by the end of the summer um, and ITG uh, may be uh, sharing one or two of them as well for free um, and uh, yeah they'll be available on my website hopefully within a month the final product will be done oh, very cool uh, yeah.
0: so well uh let's wrap up here but uh before we go uh i don't remember how many years ago it was but you and your dad came to indianapolis right and you did uh it was a brass quintet version of rhapsody in blue
1: oh that show right okay
0: yeah well i was your other trumpet player
1: yes yes
0: for that i didn't know if you remembered that i mean you've done plenty of performances but uh
1: i was thinking of, of we played with indianapolis symphony um, but yes, no, I remember the show as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to be honest, that was the first time, the first and only time we've done uh, Rhapsody in Blue with uh, oh. brass quintet and him. Usually we just do, of course, our, our own rendition yeah. for trumpet and piano.
0: Well, I'm putting that on my resume then. <laughs> it's the only time <laughs> right. yeah, only time I, I've done it or we've done it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyways, well, good. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you remember that, but. Of well this has been a, been a very enlightening uh, and a lot of fun to sit and chat with you likewise uh, thank thanks. you for having me i wish you the best through all of this um stay healthy and, thank you. Uh, you as well thank you well that's where my interview with brandon ends but there is more to be heard i've excerpted a significant portion of this interview and that is available exclusively for my patreon patrons You can find out how to become one of those patrons and how to receive other benefits by going to patreon.com slash studio HFL. And again, to those who are already patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you. Another reminder to visit Apple Podcast and leave both a star rating and a review. And please visit the Studio HFL YouTube channel and subscribe. This has been a production of Powell Music, LLC, and has been supported by the generosity of Messina Covers. Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Hammond Design, and Pickup Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host Larry Powell. Grateful that you spent some time here today with me and my guest. Be sure to come back next week and also check out the Studio HFL webpage for the live events that are happening these days. Have a great day. See you next time.